This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. These days, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is rarely out of the news. Just this week, he signed into law a bill that would exempt him from Florida's resign to run law. So he won't have to give up his office if he wants to run for president. He also continued his war on teachers, signing into law a bill that will ban the state's public colleges and universities from spending money on diversity, equity and inclusion programs. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. It's long been assumed that Ron DeSantis will soon announce his run to be the Republican presidential nominee for 2024. But there's a problem. Polls show he just is not as popular among Republicans as his main challenger, Donald Trump. Oh, I think DeSantis can do okay with farmers. I don't think so. Based, based on polls, he's not doing okay with anything. And there are signs that Floridians are rejecting his brand of politics. Witness the state's most popular city, Jacksonville, where voters this week elected their first female mayor, a Democrat, defeating a Republican who'd been endorsed by Ron DeSantis. So despite his best efforts, is Ron DeSantis failing before he's even started? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist for The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. The last two years that we have been in this, really, this this cultural war of a nightmare here in Florida is exactly what that has been. Chevron Jones is a Democratic state senator in Florida. Before that, he was a member of the state's House of Representatives. And before that, he was a teacher. In 2018, he came out as gay, becoming the first LGBTQ plus black person to serve in the Florida legislature. Just that it has been uh, the governor leading with a strong hand and it's either his way or no way at all. And that goes for individuals on both sides. There has been no governing. It's been Ron DeSantis's way. Uh, and so where the governor wants to be the governor, he wants to be the chief justice, he wants to be the speaker of the house, he wants to be the Senate president, he wants to be all of it all at the same time. Just take us back to that moment for you when you came out back in 2018. And I'm just wondering if you then imagined even that some of the laws which have now been passed and become law in your state, to what extent did you ever imagine they would be? No, they, uh, not to this extent, because 
there was a time when we were working on the Competitive Workforce Act bill, which which would have basically outlawed businesses for fire in Florida for firing anyone based off of their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. That was a bipartisan bill. And that was under Governor uh, Rick Scott when we were trying to do that. But this year, you could not even bring a, any legislation like that forth because the legislation that we have been seeing has been anything but that. And as someone uh, who is a openly uh, gay black man in, serving in the Florida legislature, the unfortunate part is that you find yourself having to convince your colleagues uh, that I matter. I sit inside this room with you. Uh, fighting for my constituents, the same number of constituents uh, who you serve, I serve. So it's, it hasn't been easy to serve uh, in the legislature, especially as the governor and the Republicans have come after and continue to come after marginalized people. And in my case, the LGBTQ community and in the Black community. Can you point to a moment, uh, an event perhaps, when you yourself understood this isn't just the usual pendulum swing of politics, but Florida politics is shifting rightward. You know, I it, I will have to go back to um, to HB one in twenty eighteen. You mean after the death of George Floyd, and when we saw the the number of protests that was taking place across the country. The pushback that came from Republicans basically denouncing and discrediting our voices based off a uh, of a huge issue that we have been fighting in this in this country for far too long. And that is police brutality amongst black men uh, and women. That pushback that came just showed me that where Florida was at. And I had to remind myself that Florida is still the South. You tonight, the Florida Senate passed HB1, the so-called anti-riot bill. The controversial bill will raise penalties for crimes committed during a riot and let businesses sue for damage if their local government doesn't take action to stop a riot. However, opponents argue that the bill could hurt Floridians' right to protest. Uh, we're going to make the language so vague that it makes you not want to protest at all, regardless of what you're protesting for. I myself have been covering American politics a while, and when I started, Florida was very much always described as a swing state, a state that could go Democrat or Republican. There was a Democratic governor... Uh, Lawton Childs, remember covering that race in the 90s. Now, people pretty well firmly put it in the red column, especially after Donald Trump's spell in the White House. We're going to be focusing our conversation on the governor, Ron DeSantis. To what extent do you think it was Trump and Trump's presidency that, yes, put Florida almost permanently in that red column, but also that propelled Ron DeSantis? Well, I, I don't know if I would couch Florida as being so much as a red state uh, more than I would say that the, as far as Democrats are concerned, that honestly, we just have not done our due diligence in getting our people out to vote. I believe that the Democrats, we we got very complacent. How much does Donald Trump play into it? I mean, he plays a huge role uh, in it, but he also played a role in the reason why th the country went the direction it, it went in. But as far as Ron DeSantis is concerned, when he ran again in 2020, more people did not go out and vote than they did in um, for his reelection than they did when he was first elected. It was just the fact that Democrats didn't show up um, like they did in the in the former years. 
You mentioned that some of the legislation that's happened recent years. So let's drill into that. Uh, and perhaps best known is the Parental Rights in Education Bill, which is known universally as the Don't Say Gay Bill. The measure bans lessons regarding sexual orientation or gender identity in grades K through third and any instruction that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate according to state standards. Those standards, however, not yet in place for several grades. The word gay actually not in the legislation, but that's uh, been understood to have been its thrust. It was signed into law last year, 2022. At the time, uh, Ron DeSantis said that, you know, teaching those subjects was inappropriate for children. And the crucial thing from his point of view was to give parents the choice as to when these kinds of areas should be covered for their kids. I mean, this has been a pattern elsewhere in the country with Republican politicians, office holders, saying this is all about the rights of parents. And that's obviously been quite an effective tactic, saying parents have a right to say what their children learn in school. But just sketch out for us, and obviously you have a very particular perspective, you know, we mentioned that your own uh, identity, but what do you think this is the real world impact on the LGBTQ plus community and particularly, I suppose, on children? You know, the unfortunate and disingenuous part about all of this is that the Republicans, they say parental rights, but it's really parental rights that couch their homophobia and call it parental rights. Or they're trying to couch religious freedom when they really mean racism and discrimination. Parents already have undeniable rights. The rights are given to parents for them to protect their child, to answer for their child and, and everything. As a former teacher, there is no school, nowhere where you can find where they are teaching children about gender identity or sexual orientation in grades K through three. They were using this as red meat to be able to get their base to go out and say that this is what's happening and really railroading against school leaders all for what? To express their homophobia and against the LGBTQ community, the trans community, and truly against African-Americans, even with, with things that they're doing. It's, it's, and it's, it's not fair, again, and it's disingenuous. And and just because you mentioned it, and it has become a big focus, the trans dimension of this, a bill going through, I think, the legislature, which would prevent trans people from changing the sex on their birth certificates, and also restrict or even, I think, eliminate uh, hormone therapy, puberty blockers for minors, those under the relevant age. I mean, again, is your view there that that is born of a particular view of the issue? Or is that actually just, again, about the so-called culture wars, which has become a signature theme and motif of DeSantis in his public rhetoric? There were no and there are no surgeries uh, that have happened in Florida against a minor. It just hasn't happened. Even and asking the bill sponsor to show me proof that this was happening, the bill sponsor couldn't even show this uh, uh, to me. Even when asked the question about where else is this happening in the country? Nowhere. It, this is a coming out of their playbook to do what? To discredit, to begin to, to, to bring a great divide, to say that this is what's happening to your children. 
I've never heard of a drag queen to molest a, a young kid, but I know elected officials who have. I know pastors that have done it, but yet still we, we're, we're calling the transgender community and other LGBTQ people, and you're saying that they are groomers? No, you can't turn it back on individuals who have experienced sexual abuse, and now you want to create this, because it, it's, it makes good for you in a talking point for politics, all of a sudden th- that this becomes true? No, that cannot be the case, but this is just what the Republicans have done, and this is what has our our politics have turned into becoming so divisive and using disingenuous comments uh, to where you know for a fact that your base is not going to fight against it. They're going to believe what you say and making the Democrats look like groomers, making the Democrats look like they're sexualizing children or indoctrinating children. Well, I think you've got got us to the crucial point here, which is, you know, you said about doing this for political reasons. What are the political reasons behind it? Who, Which constituency in Florida does this work for? Who does it appeal to? What's the politics behind the, the this slew of moves that we've been describing? History tell, has shown us time and time again that the classroom is the starting ground, is the main ground uh, if you want to make any type of change. You look what they're doing. They're taking it, they're going into our higher education system. Uh, we want want to move away from allowing teachers to teach uh, facts. We want to move away from um, teachers to being able to pick books on their own. We need to make sure that we're talking about the Western civilization. Move to move away from this conversation uh, about uh, real African American history and what America was. They talk about indoctrination. This is the start of the indoctrination of them trying to change the concept of what education really really is and what history really is and what it was. But your point is that politically it works for them because voters, Florida voters, will respond to anything which is described to them as a threat to their kids. That's the point you're you're making. And and just on, on, on all of this stuff and what the effect, as you have seen it, has been on you know, maybe the morale, but also on the lives of LGBTQ plus people in Florida. What are you seeing? I see them moving. I also see them very hurt. I see them feeling as if no one supports them. I see them feeling as if that they uh, that they have to legitimize themselves in this state and them trying to figure out what's next. What, what, what else is there for, 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 for them to do to us? One of the sort of battlefronts that really has caught national uh, and even maybe even international attention is the battle between the governor Ron DeSantis and one of the state's biggest employers the Disney Corporation Um, this is you know not many people expected this to be one of the stories of the year but the Disney Corporation is now suing Ron DeSantis in federal court for what it says was retaliation against the company because Disney had uh, taken a position against the so-called don't say gay bill uh, they had said they wanted to see this legislation ultimately uh, revoked but governor DeSantis has hit back at them uh, and saying you know restricting particularly and again i'm not sure how many people around the world knew this but the disney corporation effectively acted as sort of a government over the territory that disney world uh, holds being able to you know set their own rules more or less and Ron DeSantis has sort of either threatened or hinted that he could he could encroach on that. Now Disney World's governing board has filed a lawsuit to continue its right to oversee the district that includes Disney World. You can see it's a kind of pitch battle between two very powerful players, the governor of the state and this huge corporation. What, what are voters in Florida making of this battle between the governor and one of the state's biggest corporations? 
they believe that it's petty. It's a petty fight and that the governor should be focusing on the things that's really going to move Florida forward. And I think we also should point out that, the, that this fight is, is just weird for him to, to die on this hill. And I think it should be, we should point out that Reed Creek uh, has been established in this state with rules on the books for over four years. And all because Disney is too woke now, uh, they are all of a sudden not good for Florida. But let's put Disney, the corporation, aside for a second. Let's talk about the workers at Disney, who this impact, or the people in the surrounding areas, who this impact. This is more than just about politics. We're talking about real people's lives. We're talking about a, a institution that has been in the state that brings billions of dollars here that the governor wants to now go into fight with. Why? All because they express their First Amendment right? All because you want to make national attention to as your political agenda to run for president? It's not how we should be doing politics. Look, we've, we focused on that Don't Say Gay bill and the all the issues around there, but this is part of a wider uh, move by Ron DeSantis, leaning into all these so-called cultural issues. He signed this law, which became known as the Stop Woke Act, W-O-K-E, Stop Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, a slightly forced kind of acronym, which was really tying the hands of a whole lot of educational institutions, businesses, telling them what they could teach and saying it would be wrong to teach anything that would cause anyone to, quote, feel guilt, anguish, or any form of psychological distress due to their race, colour, sex, or national origin. And what that seemed to get to, again, we've talked about it on this podcast before, is this all-out Republican critique or onslaught against so-called critical race theory. We are not going to categorize you based on your race. We are not going to tell uh, some kindergartner that they're an oppressor based on their race and what may have happened 100 or 200 years ago. And we're not going to tell other kids that they're oppressed based on their race. You know, Ron DeSantis says he doesn't want young children feeling guilty for something they themselves didn't do, just their ancestors did in the past. Again, just give us the unpack, un, decode the politics of this for us. What are Republicans doing when they go after critical race theory, so-called? The crazy thing about what we are seeing right now is you ask an individual about critical race theory, those who disagree with it, they don't even know what critical race theory is when they say that it's being taught in my classroom. One, I think they should understand that critical race theory is a way of understanding how American racism has shaped public policy or a divisive discourse that pits people of color against white people. And it only exploded that way because of how Donald Trump expressed it to his base. We will get critical race theory out of our schools, out of our military and out of every part of our federal, state and local governments. And at long last, every parent in America must be empowered to opt out of the forced indoctrination in the classroom. And guess what happened? They, everyone ran with it. Oh, if you're teaching black history, oh, this is critical race theory. This is too woke. This is wokeism. Or they, oh, you start te- teaching about uh, Martin, Luther King, Martin Luther King and his letters to the Birmingham jail. Oh, this is woke ideology that we're that we're trying uh, that they're trying to indoctrinate our children with. Let's be honest. When we're talking about critical race theory, what they're trying to do is distort facts. What they're trying to do is shield their, their children from understanding how their ancestors did African Americans at during that time. They don't want to. They don't want to un, un, uncover that truth. The truth is that uh, history is not only is it ugly, 
It's nasty, it's controversial, and it's uncomfortable. And the fact of the matter is you don't want your children to sit through a conversation about how uncomfortable it was during that time. And when we even ask and we say things like this, even in, in, uh, in committee or on the floor, it's discredited with, oh, we're not trying to, to hide the truth. We want to just make sure that we're te- teaching things that's based on the curriculum. They don't know what critical race theory is, but, criti- but the black history is what's under attack right now. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say that over the decades, there have always been sort of proxies for essentially sort of dog whistle attacks on black people. And sometimes it would be politicians who talk about crime. Sometimes they would talk about welfare. You'd have phrases like inner city, or these were code words for having a go at black people. And critical race theory is the latest one of those. What do you make of that take? (laughs) It all happened. The segregation is real. All of these things that that happen, all of this is real. Whether you want to talk about how they ran expressways through black communities, that's that is that's real. That's that's not wokeism. That's facts. With such a swathe of new restrictions in what they can and can't teach in the classroom, some teachers in Florida are fighting back. When I started 38 years ago. Decision-making on what to teach, how to teach, et cetera, was left to the instructors. And there was a great deal of respect for what teachers did. Don Falls teaches American government and economics to high school students in Manatee County. When a new Florida law started requiring all books in public schools to be vetted by a trained media specialist, many teachers, including Don, chose to cover up unvetted books in their classrooms rather than remove them, to make a point. And then you'll have one of these outside groups, and we have them here locally in our community, who are monitoring books and monitoring what's going on in the classroom, almost waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, and that, and that's, that's tough to teach when you have that. Just this week, a teacher in Florida said in a TikTok post that she was being investigated by the state's Department of Education after she showed her students the animated Disney film Strange World, which, and this is not the main plot point, features a character who is biracial and gay. A spokesperson for the department later said the complaint will be reviewed by an investigator and the school district has written to parents letting them know that the district was reviewing the matter to see if further corrective action is required. Unlike young teachers in the state who might fear putting their heads above the parapet, Don, who's nearing the end of a long career, has decided, along with a few others, to sue Ron DeSantis over the Stop Woke Act. We are challenging the law on First Amendment free speech rights that the law prevents teachers and subsequently, therefore, students from exercising their free speech rights in the classroom by denying them access to information that is a critical part to, to education. And so that's what we're challenging on, on First Amendment prior restraint grounds. It's a matter of principle. I've been teaching young people for 38 years, raised a family, have grandchildren, and I have tried to educate my children and my my grandchildren that when something's wrong, you stand up and you let your voice be heard. And I can't very well have been trumpeting that message for all these years. And then when the opportunity came for me to take up a high profile risk, I suppose, for lack of a better word, by, you know, attacking something that was clearly wrong, I couldn't very well avoid that. 
Right now, the case is in its early stages, with each side giving depositions. It's not clear when or if the lawsuit will go to court, but Don Falls believes that if DeSantis isn't stopped in some way, there'll be an exodus of teachers from the state. And not, not necessarily just leaving Florida, but just leaving the profession, uh, because there's, it's make, they make it more and more difficult not only to be a teacher, but to feel like you're valued as an educator. And so for a young person thinking about going into education, my question would be, why would you, at least in the state of Florida? The comment I've heard from so many people is, this isn't the Florida that I grew up in. When I hear that, it's it's sad because I I love the community that I live in. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, I, I can't live here anymore because of this. Don Falls is convinced that Floridians are essentially suffering because of Ron DeSantis's political aspirations. He isn't acting like our governor. Uh, in fact, so many people have said, I've said it and other people said, and we've got some serious issues that the governor should be dealing with. His focus has been on these cultural issues, going after what teachers are teaching or Disney. Those are not issues that the governor is of the third largest state in the United States should be focusing all of his time on, nor spending taxpayers' money on defending all these multiple lawsuits. But yes, I think, you know, I think he's been looking seriously at a presidential run. So whether he continues that route, I don't know, but he surely is not being the governor of the state. Senator Jones, let's just broaden this out uh, a bit, because Everything we're talking about is part of a whole suite of actions that the governor has taken. Signing a bill that would ban most abortions in the state after just six weeks. It's one of the shortest periods, if you like, that's of anywhere in the United States. Making it legal for gun owners to carry a gun in public without a government-issued permit. And also just most recently, and I think this, you know, this was sort of gobsmacking, signing into law a, a bill that would bar state officials from investing money, public money, to promote environmental, social and governance goals. In other words, making it, uh, you know, against the law to be making decisions that would help the environment. I mean, we obviously can guess your view in principle of these issues and these decisions. We, we can guess pretty strongly that you would be against them. But again, explain the politics to us. What is DeSantis's game here? I can't speak what's in his mind, but I know what the polls say. There's, it's not by accident that the governor did not sign the permitless carry, nor the abortion bill publicly. He did it privately because it doesn't poll well. The messaging on it is off, and they know that they are losing uh, people from their base, especially suburban um, white women. They're losing them to this to these issues. And so that's that's why the politics behind it is the governor believes that this helps him across the country to win a primary. But I believe they're short sighted in what they're doing, because in the general the general election, what this looked like, I don't think it plays out well for them. And so the politics behind it is that he believed that this is what propels him into becoming the presidential nominee. He wasn't thinking about Florida when he did any of this, whether it was about abortion or whether it is penalizing individuals for their investments. I think you've pinpointed what for many people say is the big problem of the DeSantis candidacy. And we're talking about his uh, bid. We don't know if he, he hasn't formally announced, but to be the Republican presidential nominee in 2024. And they say his offer is essentially Trumpism without 
Trump. Uh, the, he won't be Trump himself. You won't get the kind of erratic personal behavior. But ideologically, it's the same. And the problem is that, as you've just said, I think, Republican primary voters may well like Trumpism, but they also like Trump and therefore they'll go for Trump. And general election voters, meaning the wider American public who will vote in November 2024, they don't really like Trumpism. They don't like that six-week abortion ban, all those open guns. In your view, is that the sort of fatal flaw in the DeSantis candidacy? Or is there a way that actually he, you can see, much as you may not like it, a way he gets over that? All I will say about that is that I would suggest to his uh, to to his pollsters and to his uh, his political staff that they should go look at President Trump, former President Trump's last election. He lost because of these same type of policies that Trump that DeSantis is pushing. This is not a winning message. America doesn't want to be known as the laughingstock of the world because we are becoming more divisive by the day. America right now it, it is is so divided racially, politically, and this concept that this is the winning issue, I can guarantee you that the majority of Americans do not want to be here. They even hate that we are in this position that we're in right now. You, you're unusual because there's lots of national commentators sounding off about DeSantis, but you are right there. You see him close up because obviously the relationship between the governor and the legislature, you're seeing him there. Just give us a sense of what he's like and particularly address this, this impression that is growing that he may be just too thin skinned for the for prime time, for seeking a, you know, a presidential nomination. He got very tetchy when he was asked about some bad opinion poll numbers when he was on a trip overseas he was in Japan i think i'm not i'm not a candidate so we'll see if uh, if and when that changes in terms of personal constitution sort of disposition he's not cut out for the rough and tumble and intense scrutiny of a national campaign you're there in his own home state what do you say well i mean i think you're absolutely right he's not he's not friendly to anyone he's not even friendly to the people in his own party no one knows who the true Ron DeSantis is because he's just he's he's not personable. Senator Scott, at least he he reached out at Olive Branch to Democrats and Republicans, invited them to events that when he was in your backyard, they sent a message out saying, hey, the governor's going to be in your area. You're more than welcome to come to be a guest. The governor doesn't. The governor DeSantis doesn't do that. He doesn't have any friends. Uh, and uh, again, I, I sit on the floor with uh, his Republican colleagues who make it clear. They say, I don't know the man because he won't meet with me. He hasn't met with me. He'll, he'll tell his staff to meet with me. That's the type of person he is. And that's why I know for a fact that the governor is not ready for prime time, because when you can define your leadership based off of hijacking a system, and I'm talking about the legislature, you're not ready for prime time because there's no way in hell that you're going to become the president and think you're going to hijack the Senate or Congress. So he's got this total control. He has this problem that in a way he only knows how to speak to his own supporters, speak to the base. He hasn't really had to run a competitive race. He's very used to having things his own way there in Florida. What do you think it says uh, about him that some of his own former advisors, even people on his own side, are actually backing his main opponent in the Republican Party, namely Donald Trump? And I'm thinking, for example, of his debate prep coach, Matt Gates, the congressman. I mean, a lot of people wondering about why you might make that choice of your debate coach. But he is backing Donald Trump and uh, recent uh, uh, video or audio emerged of that those debate prep sessions in which Ron DeSantis' own advisors were urging him to write the word likable 
at the top of his notes to remind himself to be likable in front of the camera. I mean, this is suggests somebody who just uh, can't even make friends on his own side. Well, I, I'll, I'll say something that my grandmother used to always say to uh, to my cousins and I, that the worst thing you can ever do is take meat out of the oven when it's undone. People will spit it out. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. I think that Governor DeSantis uh, and his team, I think that, I mean, while he could have been eventually a good candidate, uh, they moved too quick. Trump still have a, str- a strong stronghold on these uh, on these individuals. De- uh, Ron DeSantis is just not ready. No, I think your grandmother uh, might have said, yeah, this guy is undercooked. Um, undercooked. And of course, he's, he's not even gone into the oven yet because he's not even announced his campaign. He's polling badly behind Donald Trump. Um, what's your view? Do you think he will even actually announce or could this be one of those campaign that never actually gets off the launch pad and he just then says, I've looked at it and I'm not going to do it. I'll I'll follow uh, Chevron Jones's grandmother's advice and I'll wait for 2028. <laughs> 2032. Do I think he announces? I think based off of the polls and everything that's coming out right now, um, I think it'll be very difficult for him to to announce and to make his way across this country because he's going to lose. And I'm and I'm no betting man, but I'll put a bet on that one. But he also realizes that if he doesn't take this jump, when the legislature comes back in, he will be powerless because now you are lamed up. And now the uh, the members of the legislature, they have no reason to do anything for you because of the fact that what are you running for? There's nothing for them. For, there's nothing for them to back or carry your water for. Now, I think he's going to start seeing them push back. And that's if he decides not to run the state governor. Senator Jones, we do always like to ask our guests on the podcast a what else question, usually something completely different. In this case, related, because it is still connected to Ron DeSantis. Uh, this week was a week of elections scattered across the United States, including uh, one in Florida. Uh, Ron DeSantis had made a big deal of showing his support, backing a couple of Republican candidates, one inside Florida, one outside, but both failed. The first was his chosen candidate for the Republican nomination for the governor's race in Kentucky. He backed Kelly Craft, but she lost. And uh, the winner who prevailed was Daniel Cameron. But in Ron DeSantis' own home state of Florida, where you'd think his endorsement would really cut some ice, in the mayor's race in Jacksonville, the most populous city in the whole state, the Republican candidate lost out to the Democratic winner, Donna Deegan. She will now be mayor of Jacksonville. Big win for the Democrats uh, in a state that many uh, suspected was turning red, but very much a blow to Ron DeSantis personally because he had backed Donna Deegan's opponent. What do you think this tells us about Ron DeSantis? Well, I think it's, it's important for us to, to, to point out that Ron DeSantis is no Donald Trump while he's trying to emulate him in so many different ways and policies and uh, really trying to uh, draw up a, a solid base. Uh, he's just not there yet. And his name obviously does not carry that type of weight um, like uh, any other uh, popular Republican who would be able to win some people over. And I also think that it's also a 
a rejection of the policies of not just uh, Ron DeSantis, but also Republicans uh, across the country. And I think you're going to continue to see that type of pushback as uh, as elections continue to come, because people really want to get back to some type of normalcy and want to get back to leaders governing. Chevron Jones, thank you so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you all for having me. It has been a pleasure. My thanks also to Don Fools. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, with help from Jesse Lawson. And the executive producer is Nicole Jackson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.